we got in trouble for we, we I was part of the May 1st, like the May Day boycott kind of thing down here in Southern California with like rights for farm workers. We I, we were like, hey, Dogwood supports the boycott, whatever. Like I'm down for the farm workers. Like I, I support living wages. I support, you know, and uh, I, th- I think Jesus would, too. And we got shafted by uh, on MySpace. Like, I'm not going to listen to your wow. music anymore. I'm not going to you do you part of the boycott. I'm like. Well, okay, you go do their job. You know, see how, see how much money it's worth. Or like, it was a, it was almost like a dumb argument. I didn't want to argue back, but there was some I just had to respond to. You know? Yeah, it's you're like, talking farmers and a bunch of teenagers act like they have to go out and buy fucking groceries, and they're gonna spend an extra thirty cents on tomatoes because they got a raise. It's ridiculous. Exactly. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Casey. And I'm Sam. And it's Sunday now. Monday, we had gotten together with Jeremiah. We were recording an intro for a John Ross episode from this week. And uh, we had been playing a bunch of clips of Jesse Lee Peterson and making fun of him. And right as we had finished recording, it's like, I don't know, maybe 10 o'clock my time. Maybe a little earlier than that. And my doorbell rang. And Which is terrifying. That's a terrifying time to have anyone ring your doorbell or knock at you. Yeah, well, especially see you're you're coming to visit me soon, and because uh, I think we've decided that that's definitely going to happen, right? I think so. I still try to get it sorted out, but <laughs> but if uh, so, I live in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Like I'm about 20 minutes from the nearest town with any sort of business in it or anything like that. Uh, there's one house across the street, but the guy doesn't live there. He just kind of comes in as he comes and goes as he pleases a uh, couple people down the road. But I, I mean, there's nobody out by me and, yeah. uh, you could scream and holler and shoot guns in the air all you want. And like, nobody's going to hear you. So <laughs> like, where we live, it's weird to get a visitor at any time of day. That's not like dropping off a package. And now it's dark, you know, and I'm already, so, I would have been, that would have scared the shit out of me, dude. I don't, I live in an area that's heavily populated. And if I get a knock on my door after it's dark, I'm just like, well, I guess this is it. <laughs> Feels like <laughs> I'm make my peace, I guess. With the I way hope I it at least makes life. the news. Yeah, dude. I, that's the last thing on earth I want. I should live in an area like you where I'm guaranteed to not have to interact with people. But well, so I answered the door. And I mean, right when I walked up to the door, I'm like, oh, my, my God, who is this guy? He's a great <laughs> big tall guy. Uh, he's he's like filthy. He's got on overalls with no shirt underneath. Um, and he, he's he's only got one foot. The other foot's missing. And he's got like one of those leaf spring foots like the Blade Runner deal, okay. which are super so, cool. Yeah. And also like so my father in law has he's missing a leg. So he's got a, he's got a fake leg, but he's got the one that has like that, you know, that foot colored foot on the bottom of it. And it's supposed to look like a leg. And I don't know. It looks more it looks like a Cabbage Patch Kid foot. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little like it's like if someone blew up a doll foot and it just plopped it onto the, a metal stick. And it's just funny because it's like fake legs are expensive and insurance companies aren't great about 
coughing up money for things like that. He's had to like fight tooth oh, and weird. nail to get new ones. Yeah, I know. Uh, but he's had to fight tooth and nail to get new <laughs> ones. Crutches are $30. So <laughs> yeah, it, it's also funny because he has to every once in a while, every few years or whatever, he has to um, reapply for the handicap parking thing. So you can that you hang above your uh, rear view mirror. And he's just like, it's, an, it's like, his legs never growing back. So it's just funny that they're like, you have to reapply for this every few years because this is potentially not a permanent condition. It's like, okay. But yeah, those anyway, this, my understanding is those scythe ones are for like running and they're expensive. Like they're, they're really good quality ones. It's my thought. So having someone just show, having the way your story is going, something's going to tell me that maybe uh, having a nice quality, fake leg and the rest of this guy don't exactly go together perhaps he murdered no. somebody and stole it he found another one-legged man and killed him and took it his could be maybe he made foot. it himself yeah. like he cut it off of an old jeep wrangler or something like that it's but he like uh <laughs> he's got this like just beat truck it's like an old sonoma or something like that and it's just blown out and he's got a he's got a he's towing a a little bitty trailer full of gravel. He's got like a big pile of gravel on it. It's got no sides on the trailer. The gravel's just kind of like stacked on top. And I guess what? like he just figured, ah, eh, if I lose some, who cares? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's got this like the the tires on this thing are are old to begin with, and there's one tire on the back that that. I mean, it's literally just in pieces like this thing. Just it it exploded. It didn't go flat. It's like totally ripped to shreds and it's sitting on the rim. And he was he like, still has gravel in his trailer. Yep. Shocking. Yeah, he's like, uh, you know, Magic hey, problem. I was wondering if you could help me change my tire. I need a I need a jack. And I happen to have one sitting in the back of my uh, my little truck thing. And I said, oh, yeah, I've actually I've got one. It's already out there. It's sitting out there. And he's like, oh, OK, that's that's what I'd call a God thing. OK, yep. And I'm like, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> he, goes, he, he goes, are you a God fearing man? And I was like, I oh, I used to be, you know, and he's he's like, OK, okay. so I, I ran to get the jack and I come back and like you could just tell like he's amped up and ready for like he's going to give me a sermon. God orchestrated just, this. So. I, that's I think that's kind of what he thought. He said it a couple of times that like, yeah, God brought him there for some reason or another, you know, and <laughs> this guy, he's got like real curly, like unkempt hair and stuff like that. And I mean, nothing about him. Look, I mean, he looked like an old farm farm boy or something like that. But okay. I don't know. I mean, I've since like looked it up. So I, I have a guess as to what kind of drugs he was doing. But he, had, you, you know, like how people have ranch corners. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they get like the little bubbly white stuff in the corner yeah. of their mouths. Yeah, and it's just like ever is. present. He, this dude had like ranch mouth. Does it like connect when they open their mouth? You see like the stalagmites and stalactites of it just like form as they <laughs> open and close their mouth. <laughs> he looked like he did the cinnamon challenge with like that powdered coffee creamer. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it's he just, just like white in his mouth and it's like stringy and like every time he opens his mouth it's like yeah it's like a grilled cheese sandwich oh my god like he just motorboated a cinnabon (laughs) 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 so um 
so yeah, he gave me a, a, a it was a pretty long sermon. And uh, so to this guy's credit, I actually, I kind of, I kind of liked the guy. I thought he was kind of fun to talk to. <laughs> oh yeah. He okay. was not a dumb dude or like an irrational guy in a lot of ways. And like the way that he presented like his whole view of God and spirituality and stuff, which was, you know, I didn't, I didn't exactly ask him to, uh, to give me that, but he, but he did. It was, it was not bad. It was a unique take. I thought I was going to get this typical, like, you know, old-timey. Lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we should have died kind of bullshit. That sort of thing, yeah. Ugh. But it wasn't. Like, he talked about how he was homeless for a time period and how during that time period he thought, he said he got diagnosed with, like, stage four cancer, and so he, like, went out into the desert to die with his dog and lived in like a like a lean-to or something had to like go fetch water from somewhere down the road or something which you know i mean who knows who knows if all of it's true or whatever but uh his his theory on why he didn't have cancer now was something to do with conventional medicines bad for you and oh you know it was it was something along those lines something but, tells uh, me he never had cancer <laughs> he, he also said that he was like a uh uh a program coder that he wrote programs for like some giant company. I forget if, I don't know if he mentioned who it was that he, he supposedly wrote for, but I'm getting Al Gore into the internet vibes. from. (laughs) It's a little like that. It was kind of like, uh, you know, I'm, you wouldn't know it by looking at me, but I'm actually a genius. And here's what I learned when I, I maybe uh, designed that leg. Maybe that he might be. Cause maybe I don't, if he did, I mean, I'll tell you what the guy like he's got he's got one foot missing. And like I I went out there with the jack and stuff expecting like, oh, I'm going to change his tire. Right. I brought my little like impact gun and stuff out to do it. And I, I mean, he just like grabbed the stuff from me and like threw himself down on the ground and started like, do it. I mean, he did it all himself, hey. like didn't even like ask for assistance other than just let me use your your jack, you know, but uh it was a very wandering, unconventional, you know, uh, road to salvation sort of discussion, but uh, with a lot of like science lingo mixed in there. I wish you recorded and, uh, it. I, I really thought about it. I, I was like weighing it when I went in to get the jack. I was thinking like I should record it because he had asked me if I was a God fear man. I'm like, I should just record this. But then I thought that was kind of a crappy thing to do. Hmm. I'd much rather guess- misrepresent his views. Yeah, you know, myself <laughs> on a on a podcast, but uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. He finished out the uh, the the whole thing by giving me his number. He Ooh, said he trains I dogs. A future guest, <laughs> right? I, it's crossed my mind. <laughs> he, he trains dogs for disabled people. He said um, he told me if I saw him around town, he was the guy in the wheelchair being pulled by a team of dogs. <laughs> like and i haven't seen him yet but i am a bunch of huskies looking, believe me yeah i think he's got a mix of breeds he doesn't really restrict it to that but he, Does he, he have told a me vehicle that, on the side of it it says god entered a body like my body my same size <laughs> it was that kind of vibe yeah it was uh <laughs> bob hickman vibes <laughs> bob hickman that's right I which i don't know if we've talked about bob hickman on here but if you don't know who that is just look up Bob Hickman, God Entered My Body on YouTube and enjoy yourself. You, yeah, you can, it's a blast. You can take off for a few hours 
that I'll give you the short the short version of it. God entered his body like a body his same size, like me floating into you or you floating into me. Holy Ghost baptism. I think that's it. <laughs> it's that concise and consistent. Yeah. But some of it isn't. Some of it are like the meandering thoughts of a crazy person. Yeah, his Instagram is fun. It's He's kind of a nice mix of like... You get to see like a profile of his butt cheeks a lot. He posts a, a lot of nude photos. He's got a <laughs> He does. He takes good care of himself. <laughs> I think that guy squats, but not like in someone's house, like maybe in their basement without their knowledge, but just it in general, be. it works out. He seems like an overall, like kind of a positive guy, but there's so many things about his videos that are just unsettling. Like there's always a scream mask in the background. I, I don't yeah. know. I, like every time I see it, I just can't like take my eyes off. It. I'm like, why is it's that? Te- it's creepy. He, it's his, it's always bad lighting and you can't tell if he lives in like a dungeon or if it's like just a one bedroom apartment or something like that. It's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Supposedly no, he's I, a truck I'm driver. I'm definitely going to reach out to Bob Hickman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, my local Bob Hickman, Ed, he was I, he was actually kind of cool. I actually liked him. I was, you know, you never know how those things are going to go. So I get, yeah. I mean, it always makes me nervous, but he was cool. There we go. Well, you met, you met one of the good ones. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right. You have, um, you have queued up a couple of clips for us today. Again, I like this game. I like this game of you queuing up clips that I've never heard before. It's gotten, uh, uh, it's, I'm kind of like having fun with it. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, my favorite podcast to listen to is the Tim Dillon show. I've talked about him and we'll continue to talk about him. I love Tim Dillon. And on his Patreon episode this week, he was talking about Ben Stein. So him and his producer okay. hang out a lot of times at the Beverly Hills Hotel when they're in L.A. And talked about like seeing Ben Stein there, you know, on a lot of different occasions. And someone had sent him clips of Ben Stein's Twitter uh He's he's been like making some statements on his Twitter. And okay. I guess if, if you're not familiar with Ben Stein, uh, he's the teacher in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's like Bueller. He's also Bueller. The, uh, the dry eye. The, what did he do the commercial for Visine or some shit? Oh, yeah. Clear, clear eyes. eyes. Clear eyes. Dry. Clear red eyes. Try clear eyes. Yeah. He's clear just got eyes. the. I mean, he's like famous for having a boring voice. Yeah, uh, and he had this. He had a show called "Win Ben Stein's Money." I remember that. Uh, uh, he he apparently before all this, he was a speechwriter for Nixon. He was part of the Nixon. Oh, really? Uh, Did not know presidency. That. Yeah, was he, was he like a smart guy? Is he like, well, I don't know what that means entirely, but I don't, I think I don't know if he was, he was like an author before his brain rotted. Yeah, that happens to some of them. He's it's, he's getting the uh, Jordan Peterson effect. He has that. Yes, it's that. It's that one. That's what it is. I I don't never really thought much of Ben Stein except that uh, my final year at Liberty, he put out a movie called Expelled. That's right. And it was like a documentary about like how they're not allowing us to talk about God in schools. I don't remember a ton about it, but I remember we. I went to it in the theater with some people. He was. Um, I remember. Christian's really loving this. When did Expelled come out? I'm trying to find it right now. It had to um, be like 2009. It was. Oh, he was in uh, an episode of Full House, perhaps. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. 
<laughs> I get. Oh, he's like appeared in a ton of shit. Like a lot of sitcoms. Like, dang, he's been. In so I, it much doesn't stuff. really make sense how he's managed to stay in the public eye for so long. But he was also my commencement speaker at Liberty. So he puts oh out this God. documentary called Expelled. And then immediately that year, he's the commencement speaker at Liberty. I wish Jeremiah was here because Jeremiah got Glenn Beck for his commencement speaker. A little jealous. But uh, old Ben's got some opinions about what's wrong with America. And uh, trigger warning, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think they're going to jive well with our audience. So he, t- he tackles a number of topics. Um, the first one that that I heard was about the epidemic of violence in America. And I was, I'm going to I'm going to play this one for you. All right. And uh, I want to talk about crime. Uh, when I moved here in 1976, this was a very safe. City. He's at the Beverly Hills uh, Hotel and, uh, making this video. Dramatically. And here's here's what's going on. For some reason, uh, which would take a lot of explaining, but it could be explained. Uh, the government decides to basically stop punishing black people commit crimes and black people commit crimes and not being prosecuted for yes they're embarrassed at least and yes their parents are mad and they do not get anything less murder and this is a shocking thing this is a very bad thing you heard it so here oh my god okay what what are your thoughts well uh (laughs) i'd like to see the evidence that he's talking about because I'm pretty sure we disproportionately send black people to prison. <laughs> There's not a whole lot to say about that. That's a very brazen take. That's yeah. I guess I wasn't aware that he was uh, that much of a racist. So that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I think he views himself as uh, you know fighting for actual justice or something. I, he has a lot of views tied that 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 pivot back to black people, and yeah. it's like what you would hear like an old guy in the, you know, in the line at Hardy's in the morning, like say under his breath because he sees a news report out of the corner of his eye, like vague, no stats, just kind of like knee jerk thoughts and opinions from a guy who probably, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he probably doesn't talk or interact with a whole lot of black people in his life. Uh, Probably. Isn't he, um, I believe he's Jewish. Is that right? Yes. And Stein, that's a very Jewish name. He also said that, um, so, uh, that, no, that's what I, anyway, I thought his, what's interesting to me about his movie expelled is that he does end up going hard on the intelligent design stuff. It seems, um, which is an unusual take for people who are Jewish. So well, I think he's a Christian. Is he? I think he's a Christian. Uh, he, he must've got he stays. Does, some point yeah i don't know that for sure but i know that he posts like he is very republican um he so, posts yeah, of a lot a <laughs> well, he posts like a lot of the videos on his twitter especially in a given time period were about he would like post publicly like a video of him praying for israel and okay. he posted a couple videos like shaming jews for voting for democrats when you know, Republicans are the friend of Israel. He talks about how Richard Nixon is okay. the savior of Israel and is he, was he a great president. A I mean, possibly, possibly. He did say uh, that uh, 
he said that President Barack Obama was, quote, the most racist president there has ever been in America. Yeah, so. he's like straight up like Michael Savage takes. Yeah, but that's uh, a fun take, uh, considering we did have presidents that actually owned slaves. And <laughs> so maybe they take the cake <laughs> on that one. Just as a thought. I think he's grading racism on a curve, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, don't think too hard about the rate of incarceration for for black people and especially black men. Uh, the the problem in America is that we're just not punishing them hard enough, I guess. How do you get to a point where you can look at the world around you and say that? That's what's so mind boggling. It's like you're, you're not you're living in an alternate reality at that point, And there's no there's no point in talking to people. I think it's like, it's the same routine that, that we all kind of have a tendency to fall into where it's like, you look at the same sources all the time. And you know, for a lot of people like that's Fox news and like Fox news is their window out of their tiny little box that they live in into the rest of the world. And like, that's what they run stories on. That's like their, you know, daily story is about like some one-off case where someone wasn't prosecuted for something. And so now to him, it's an epidemic that's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, never mind that you can't just pull up crime reports and incarceration rates. Like it's widely available data just through Google. So that's what's just weird about people who make, well, you know, uh, I mean, you could show the evidence for this if we had the time. It's like, it doesn't, it's not like it takes a lot of time. It's all on effort. Record. Yeah. I've seen the documents. You got the documents right here. <laughs> Shuffle that. papers off, yeah. off camera. <laughs> Empty manila envelope. You know, the thing is, Door it's folders. like you can't get lost in the statistics, bro. Yeah. I like try that's... not to. Statistics are part of the problem. Uh, do you want, uh, do you want some more? Because <laughs> he has some ideas about education. Oh, I would well. love to hear these ones. Okay, sure uh, this is important for you, actually, because, I mean, considering you're eventually going into that, I mean, assuming you pass this class you're procrastinating an assignment for right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. This country is in many ways in a state of collapse. And the most recent example is that some school districts, quite a few school districts around the country, are scrapping the grade of Fs. There's no such thing as a failing grade anymore. And we don't know exactly why, but certainly most of the reason is because so many black students were getting Fs. And that drags down the average of the whole school and the whole school district. And it makes black people look stupid. But it's incredibly insulting to them to tell them that we're scrapping the whole system of education as it's always been throughout all history just because we don't think you can learn. Obviously, there are plenty of black people who can learn. Before the recent problems in the black community, when we started blaming everything on whitey, blacks were able to learn. Now, when we blame everything on whitey, blacks can't learn somehow. This is ridiculous. This country is, in many ways, in a state of collapse. And the most recent example... Is <laughs> okay, well, if it looped, it looped. Okay. Uh, well, if there's one thing uh, we can agree on, uh, that I can agree on with old Ben here is that our country is in a state of collapse, but I think we're uh, probably getting, I think if that's, we showed our work, we'd be coming to very different reasons for why we got there. Yeah. It's good of you to find some common ground though, yeah. you know? That's what I try to do. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't 
I don't know where this one comes. Like I've seen like the, you know, the conservative news outlets that run stories about like, you know, where every crime story they have is like about a black person or, you know, or a illegal alien or, you know, whatever. But this, I, I don't know where this is coming from at all. I mean, I don't know that, I don't know that schools are getting away with even getting, doing away with F school districts. That seems probably not true right out the gate. First lie. Uh, <laughs> what do you even say about this? He's such a psycho at this point that like he's just living in his own world. Uh, this is what sucks about living in this generation, this century, whatever. It's like everyone who's had any level of notoriety or fame, like now just can take to the internet. And then th- these ideas, like not the ideas in of themselves. It's not like people are hearing that and they've like, Oh, that's a really good point, Ben. And then they've changed their mind. But like the fact that this can, I guess we're contributing to it right now that it just like it, it goes everywhere once it happens and everyone's like, Oh, look at this, look at this. And that's obviously what we're doing right here. But it's just like, God, people used to have these bad ideas and they would just be like, tell someone next, some other drunk person next to them at a bar and then go home and hate their life. Like, (laughs) and now you can just live tweet something an event with the most ridiculous takes. And, and then everything just, it just gets everywhere. And then that's what we're talking about. It's so, so ridiculous. I should hate ourselves for this. Thank you, Casey. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> I did think about whether or not to play that one. Cause that one's, <laughs> that one's pretty rough. I don't know. It's, it's any worse than the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's so weird how, you know, like anyone who has any semblance of authority can just like, I mean, I, I just, I don't understand how you have like the, even the self-confidence to go on there yeah. and just like shout things that are obviously not true. Like getting rid of F's. This is a, uh, you know, an education system that's been around throughout all of history. Like really? Yeah. That was we were, a good one. Like the cavemen were, were using standardized testing. And if you got an F, they just threw you away. <laughs> yeah i mean was it still in the but even in the 50s there was like a large percentage of people still weren't even graduating high school it was like and, and yeah it was not taken there was no real standards for education for quite some time so well, yeah, think like, like yeah, we've had this forever and it's always worked for white people until these black people showed up how'd they get here i don't know we won't get into that but they messed it up for everybody it's like okay ben <laughs> jesus christ I do wonder too, like, okay, in the, like, let's say it's 1949 and you're a kid that's just not, you're not flourishing in that environment, right? And, you know, you kind of just aren't going to finish high school. Yeah. I mean, like not having a high school diploma at that point isn't like this black mark on your record that's going to keep you out of a decent job like there's tons and tons of like blue collar manufacturing jobs where you can make enough money to buy a house like nowadays if you don't finish high school or get a ged like that's that's something that goes on every single job application and stuff like that you know and yeah it's like a it's a sentence to poverty really yeah like you can't afford to just like let people fall through the cracks because they didn't do well at, you know, biology class or whatever. Right. You know, like my wife teaches students with social emotional disorders or disabilities, whatever. And they are, they're not going to college. Like 
these kids have a hard, they have a hard life. They have, there's a lot of different reasons for why they have the behavioral issues that they do. Uh, the end goal is to get these kids a degree so they can actually just get a decent paying I mean, might even be even a minimum wage job, but if you're like 25 and you don't have a high school diploma and you're applying for a job and there's a 17 year, 18, 19 year old who's applying for the same job who has a diploma, it's like, they're not going to hire you. And that's not the, this, I think what's so frustrating is like, even on a smaller scale, even on a situation like that, you would talk to a lot of conservatives that would want to blame individuals for not trying hard enough in high school because let's be honest, i mean high school is not that hard if you just do it so like the factors that are going on in kids who are unable to perform at that level just to graduate it's there's a systems that made them and it's not entirely their fault so like it's probably not their fault almost at all no not even in, not entirely it's just like there's systems that made them there's reasons that in this situation and to say that if you to just say, well, you know, an F's an F sucks to suck it, it, that you're giving these kids like a, you know, a death sentence of sorts. Yeah. And why? it's like and for all why? of that. Yeah. Like, what does it cost you to give them that? Like, they're not they're not taking that to college. They're not like the, the whole system we have around public education and the importance of graduation. And I don't know. It's so it's our systems falling apart in a lot of ways. It really isn't a great yeah, one, it, given the way society's progressed. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's the educational side of this. <laughs> and like, you don't even, like, what do you, I don't even know what you say to the fact that, like, he looks at that entire group as black people. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's just insane. I mean, it's hard to look at that as anything except, like, dang, you just, you're just a racist. Like, that's all there is to it. That's the only reason yeah. why you could possibly look at it that way. You know, and that's what he wants to do. So he's going to he's literally going to blame every single problem in the country that on on black people. That's what he's going to do. Well, this is we're doing. Everything was great when white people ran everything and owned black people and things were pretty good. If you ask me, it's like it's just he has a, a very make America great again vibes. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, dude. And he really just sees like the U.S. as the bastion of all these problems. Like, uh, so listen to this one. This is oh this is God. the second piece of that clip that I just played. Blacks have to be like Koreans. After World War, sorry, I beg your pardon. After the, the Korean War, Korea was in a shambles. It was a mess. People said it would never go anywhere, but they pulled themselves together. They worked. They were disciplined. They studied. They became within a few generations one of the industrial powerhouses of the world that are even now still growing. They are going to at some point fairly soon surpass Japan as an industrial superpower. That's because they work. They don't say, oh, we're going to just give you a ride for free. And you don't have a free ride. You don't have to do anything. You have to work in Japan. You have to work in Korea. You have to work in China. You have to work in the Philippines. You have to work in Germany. You have to work in Italy. You have to work in Ireland. Oh, my God. France. Those countries get somewhere. <laughs> countries where to? people are told you don't have to work. We'll do everything for you. And all you have to do is vote for us. Those countries go straight to hell in a handbasket. And that's what's happening to us. You know what advantage the rest of the world has that, that we just don't have? is They don't have Democrats. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> basically it. 
<laughs> it'll have balls. Oh my god! It's like you don't even know what to say to this insanity. Just that teach you have to work strong work out like uh, family values, like they do in China. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he literally just tried to list off. It's like, okay, dude, we get it. You know countries, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're like landbasting the welfare state, you know, even even in his position, like, I mean. Italy, France, Ireland, like you name off like all these European countries that definitely have more of a social safety net than we do. Yeah, I know. And I don't know if you recall, but <laughs> I don't know. Oh, let I me have it. it. Let me have it. Uh, I don't know if you recall when uh, Israel got the biggest handout of all and got their country back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we should edit that out. I'm not sure that he uses it that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, Ben would disagree with you there. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, he's a crusty old prick. Uh, <laughs> that should not be listened to. <laughs> he should not have been my commencement speaker. I really wish we would have gotten, you know, I don't know, uh, Mark Levin Milo. or somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Before you fall from grace, you could have Milo, dude. That would have been sick. I do think I know exactly like what's going on with Ben Stein right now. And here, this is this might explain it. I had the COVID booster, the Moderna, about uh, four or five days ago. And I am still feeling wild side effects from it. Like I had the worst flu in the world, extreme shortness of breath, a dizziness, fatigue, extremely irrational thinking. Uh, it has just been oh, that explains it. That's the I one. I the COVID booster, the Moderna. All right, clean slate uh, for Ben Stein. The vaccine did it to him. I'm you surprised wanna, he you got point the first fingers round. pointed at Big Pharma. I'm surprised he got any of those. He's on his booster, unless he just jumped straight to the booster and skipped the others. He's old. Like you can't afford to be an ideologue, you know, on vaccines if you're old and dumpy. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta hedge your bets. What's the difference? You're going to die soon anyways. <laughs> yeah, he's 77, so you know, one can only hope. One can only hope. So, yeah, Ben Stein sucks. Uh, you know, wouldn't recommend his Twitter. Zero out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess we will go ahead and introduce our guest, Josh Kemble. Uh, it's funny. I ended up connecting with him on Instagram and it took me a while to realize it. But um, so he was in a band, an old punk band called Dogwood. They were a Christian punk band. And I that was one of, I've mentioned on this show and I mentioned it in the interview, too. But this was that was one of the, when I bought four albums on my own for the first time. That was one. Of them. Now, I did put my foot in my mouth in this interview because I had no idea what album I had in the order of their discography. But I always assume I'm like. I don't I don't actually have any assumptions of where I am on the scale of like knowing when I found music, but I found this and was like, it was new to me, I guess. So I might have mentioned that I was like, instead of just asking about it, I asked a leading question about whether or not it was that. And it was their last and it was a compilation of things that's done with. Uh, <laughs> so with uh, Josh was, was all very like, gracious. He was. He was cool about it. But it was like. You know, they, it was songs from other, a bunch of their albums. They redid a couple. I felt like a big, giant dum-dum. And he was very nice about it. So that was cool. But Josh was great. It was fun to talk to him. It was cool to connect with uh, the guy who uh, 
I, I shifted out of punk music kind of after getting that. So I didn't really get, I didn't really know what went on with them or what happened. Cause that's towards the time that I shifted into like metal and hardcore. So it was just a fun connection to make. Uh, and it was fun to be able to have him on and talk to him. So hope you enjoy our conversation with Josh. Yeah. As always, if you're enjoying the show, uh, leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to the show at uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. Uh, if you want to get in on the conversation, join our Discord. You can find the link on our Instagram. And uh, we also kind of a, a side topic, but something that we're pretty excited about. Uh, our friend Phil Wilmot, who was on an episode last year, he's an activist over in Africa. And he's working on a documentary over there, and they're trying to get some funding together, doing some crowdsourced stuff. And it's definitely something that's worth checking out. Tell, tell them a little bit about it, Sam. Yeah, so they're working on a... Phil's helping gonna raise money and work on a film uh, called The Woman Who Poked the Leopard. And it's a documentary film following a woman named Dr. Stella Nyanzi. And I probably said that wrong, and forgive me if I did, but... She is a feminist activist in uh, Uganda. So she's been a political prisoner before. She's a very, um, her activism is very irreverent. Uh, and she had, I'm trying to, I want to just find the little, little, uh, here we go. Phil McLance. I'm just going to read it real quick. After a life of controversial radical activism lands her in jail, Ugandan queer rights academic and poet, Dr. Stella runs for parliament. Police brutality and tragedies that follow force her to choose between her child, her children's safety and the revolution. Uh, so this is just a film documenting her and her work and, I, and her continuing work. So uh, that's that link is in our bio on Instagram. Uh, I made a post about it that seemed to get less traction than most because I feel like Instagram doesn't like things when they throttle anything that involves like not giving them money so yeah exactly so uh i don't know it'd be great if you guys could all check that out and you know if it sounds like something you're interested in contributing to i would i'd appreciate it uh i know phil would and i think it's going to be a great film once they once they are able to get the funding to make it yeah so that being said enjoy our episode with josh Hey everybody, we're back with our guest, Josh. Josh, I'm super excited to talk to you because I've told this story probably three or four times in the podcast now. Um, when we, whenever we talk about the types of music that got us into the scene, um, the first albums I bought on that, just that I bought on my own uh, without consulting my parents or anything. Well, one of them was uh, Reverse Then Forward. Uh, then Forward Again. Oh man. <laughs> But so I was like, it's, I, it took me a second to make the connect because you got your you got your podcast and, and I'm excited to talk to you about what you're doing there. But uh, I I made that connection like super late. I'm like just checking out your page, scrolling through it. And then all of a sudden I realized like in your bio is like you sang for Dogwood. And I'm like, holy shit. I've mentioned <laughs> this album. Was that your first album? That album was actually our last one on Tooth and Nail. That was our, okay. our, our kind of culmination, kind of best of, plus some bonus songs. So, no. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. Shows you uh, how. Super fan over here. Yeah. <laughs> but Just I, so that, but that is, uh, that, that is kind of what I'm like, where I would buy like an album. I think yeah. that's maybe different 
the streaming changed things a lot, but I, the amount of times I was like, what's streaming? You buy one album and you would listen to it <laughs> over and over and over and over. Oh, yeah. And then, oh. and then you realize like five years later, you didn't know they had three more albums or something like that. You're just yeah. Like, oh, shit. like you don't, you don't, you wouldn't hear about it maybe in the same way. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, that means you guys were pretty early on with Tooth and Nail. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we weren't like we weren't like year one or generation one necessarily with them, but we got on there after our technically the third album plus a live one or whatever. But um, yeah, we we knew all the bands on the label because we we're all playing together and stuff. So we we're just on a, a a different label. We we're on a local label in San Diego for for okay. our first two records, our first two, and then we did an independent one, and then we got signed with Tooth and Nail. Um, and then we just went from there. Yeah. So the one you had is kind of like, you know, we were done with our contract and we, we had, it was kind of like, let's put some songs on from each record. Plus we'll do like anything that was on a compilation and maybe a couple, I think there was like two or three different ones that had never been released on, on the label. Um, okay. So there was stuff on there from rescue, which is the first label and face down records we did an album with. And so that was on there. Um, gotcha. So it's kind of, yeah, kind of a funny, funny story about that record, but fun times we're here we made it it was it was the first album uh to uh end the end our contract on tooth and nail <laughs> so did, and that was it i mean did you do well let's put, like we'll put a pin in that um let's, let's table that I, I, yeah I, i'm curious to know if you had any other musical endeavors but before we get there yes uh as a as a young evangelical who found tooth and nail uh you guys' music was great like it was like oh like you get that you got the punk vibe, but then you also were like, yeah, got the Christian lyrics, but didn't feel corny. Like you're like, I can do this because uh, it's cooler than, I don't know, that stuff that my parents have been trying to give me forever. So it like hit me in Thank that you. sweet spot, right? I appreciate and, that. Um, so yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when did, what, like, so what, what, when did you guys get started with music and like, what's your, like, what was your church background, your, your faith oh, background? Okay. Yeah. And all that kind Going of way back. Um, yeah. Well, Man, um, my mom was a rock and roller, um, like a kind of like a rebel in the family, um, Mexican American family, and she would always, you know, she was just always going to concerts and and um, and then her younger sister, my aunt, uh, used to when she was watching me, she would like sneak out of the house with me and take me to like parties and concerts and stuff like that when I was little. <laughs> And so I was, my mom was like doing, doing so many concerts and stuff like that around like Southern California. Um, we were, we, I remember being backstage at like, you know, Carlos Santana shows and like, just like big parties. And cause that was a big Mexican culture vibe down here in San Diego. Um, so it was just a big, big group parties and there was, or, or if there was like a big cookout with their families or in the neighborhood, there would be like live music. So it was always around, um, at least on that side of my family. Um, and then even, so then that was always around with that side of the family basically. And then, you know, go through school and, and then we started, you know, I was always a fan of, of music, different kinds. And then, but going to, uh, right after, right when I was finishing high school, that's when I, they, a couple of guys asked me to join in sing, sing in the band, um, which would, would become Dogwood. So I didn't have any musical experience technically before that. I did sing. Oh, really? I did sing at open house in sixth grade. I sang a song from an American tale by the mouse, by Fievel the mouse. Fievel? Uh, oh, Fievel, man. Yeah. It was Which terrible. What was the song? Somewhere out there. 
Um, and will you sing that for us now? No, uh, I only know like a couple parts, but like the actual <laughs> song that was sung by like the the pop artist that did it, it was really like it's like a really good like movie ballad. The mouse sounds kind of weird because it's a mouse, somebody singing in a mouse voice singing the song. Um, <laughs> but you know, basically, basically he's staring out into the sky somewhere out there. You know, his his family because he's like separated from his family. I don't know why, but we I sang that at open house in sixth grade and brought the house down. They're like, wow, he sounds like a mouse, and. Um, <laughs> I never really got over that because I my my singing voice is kind of like on the higher like kind of higher tonal range like nasally almost uh, like kind of fat mic a little bit or you know in that range instead of like a rough growl that it would become I guess later in my in my musical career if you will um, as I grew because I was did a you kid pick, I was did a kid. you pick that song yourself or was no, that chosen for you no no it was in the, we had a choir a chorus class or quiet music class or something it was one of the songs that she was teaching because it had I guess she was trying to teach us some musical theory and something in that song. It has like almost all the music theory parts she was saying, like it has revolutionary dude. Yeah. She was ahead of her time. Right. Um, so it has, she was teaching us these parts and, um, because of the way it, it dips in the valleys and the, the, the highs and the lows. And then like, there's two singers and yeah. Uh, I, I don't remember everything about it, but that was my first foray without knowing it. Um, but I had always been a fan of stuff on the radio, like the clash and, uh, other, high energy songs that were on the radio mm-hmm. um but nothing and then uh, and of course like my mom and that aunt that i was talking about and even my uncle her brother had they all had really good record collections okay so vinyl was always a big part of my life since since i can remember and now it's come back so strong yeah was- it's really cool too because to go back to like almost the first the one of the first things you're saying is like the streaming thing can is actually kind of beneficial for a fan like myself, a fan of music, because there's some stuff that you can't get, uh, you can't get your hands on anymore. You cannot find certain albums or stuff from your favorite artists or other artists that you're trying to discover. Or, I mean, you can't, I can't buy every single record out there in the world that I would love to buy. Um, right. Or even like new stuff. I try to support new independent artists, but I, I just can't afford that in my budget. But with streaming, I can, or I can buy one track or whatever. Like I can support them as much as I can. Um, but also I found, I have found a bunch of other stuff that I didn't know about from even bands that I love, you know, yeah, through streaming definitely. through Bandcamp or whatever the, the big services are. Um, I just try to support them. However, and that's another, that was a way I found out a bunch of stuff, you know, or, or covers or anything. So that's, that's kind of my, what I like about streaming and, and one of the things that I like about it, but I do love the tangibility of holding a record. Yeah. Dude, when I was in um, when I was in high school, there was always like you would blow like every paycheck. You'd go to like a, uh, we went. I went to Fye. I don't know if that was a thing, but there were <laughs> oh, always yeah. like uh, there is always like other you know places that people would go to pick up their albums. They had that would have a wide array where you're just like you would just spend a bunch of time sifting through. Maybe it's local. Did you have a place like that that you would go hang out at and look for music that's like yeah. super memorable? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, let's see. So I think I don't remember as much when I was younger, when 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 like my aunt would take me to places. I, I just remember I her taking me to like actual video game arcades and they had jukeboxes and stuff yeah. with, with records in them. But as far as me going to get music, it was like a place called like we had that store. Wait, where are you guys from? I'm from Mass. I'm from Massachusetts. OK. And then, I grew up most of my childhood in Michigan. OK. Um. I did not live in either of those spots, but we had, we did have some chain stores that had records we had, um, but the really cool, I always thought they were cool. I don't know if I didn't know much about big box stores and 
independent versus big stores then it was just who had the stuff that i wanted and i yeah. had um you could buy stuff at um you could buy stuff at sears you could buy stuff at um i forget this name of this other big place like fed co or Jimco or something like that that's where i also bought my toys um but also but the record stores was was the warehouse uh sam goody and tower records so those okay. were my those were kind of my go-tos as far as I didn't know anything about like really independent stores that that I that I love now but those were kind of the stores that I thought were the the hips cool stores when you know I mean they kind of are but they yeah weren't, they weren't as local and small as some other ones but whatever I feel like Sam Goody is like one of the it's like the token shopping mall uh like yeah yeah music store it's funny to me like how all of those music stores have shifted over the years to where like they used to sell mostly music related stuff and now mm-hmm. it's like uh Action you figures. Know, <laughs> pop vinyl figures and, yeah, yeah. and posters and anime pens i don't know <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's whatever like it's whatever it sells it's like whatever people are interested in buying like you know or or there's other stores that aren't record stores that are and now have a record section because that's what people are buying kind of thing too. Yeah. I remember when people started getting rid of record sections, like when Best yeah. Buy was just like, yeah, fuck this. We're not doing albums. Exactly. <laughs> I remember that. And, or yeah, yeah. Or, um, and reverse, reverse that is now target has a record section, you know, like they, yeah. they, they carry vinyl, you know, so select funny. few, but only big ones or whatever, but Walmart and target have vinyl. And there, that's, that's part of the problem with you not being able to get independent vinyl is because of those stores, but yeah. that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, I, but yeah, I think the last album I bought from a best buy was, uh, failure on from beloved. Let's throw that Yummy. Actually, that's, so, that's where I bought mine ago. too. I bought mine there at Best Buy in Oklahoma. Um, we were on tour and we would stop. We would try to, you know, if there was time before the show or a day off or whatever, we'd find, try to find a mall or there was always a Walmart. And then, but they didn't have the record. They had, they had cassettes, but nothing we were looking for. But I found Tooth and Nail at the time and Solid State too. They had they had a pretty big presence at Best Buy and, and some other yeah. similar stores or whatever. But like, um, and Best Buy would do this deal sometimes with the record label, like end caps and like, this one's really cheap. And then like, yep. you know, so I would get a couple of tooth and nail records. Like I would buy them at the store because, uh, I always liked the artwork and like, I hadn't, I hadn't really heard of all the bands on the label. Cause there were so many at the time too. Uh, we were one of many, right. We were, we were the, like in the punk realm, but there was like all these other genres and like, they were starting like, even like hip hop and rap. And like, I, uh, I was always trying to get us to go on the hardcore side of things, but like, you know, we were like one of their punk bands. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's funny thinking back about it because it was so cool to see what was con- not mainstream and yeah. up in a Best Buy. It was like, yeah, it made you feel like, oh, this is, this is gonna, this is gonna be something. This isn't just gonna be like, in the shadows forever lo and behold I think like the <laughs> one that i remember buying like that like similar circumstances it was like a big a big deal to buy it was uh when everything falls by haste the day mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure i bought that at best buy in like lansing or something and i just remember like holding it this is what i've been looking for oh my god you, you know just it. like yeah, just t- turning the speakers on my truck up until they make that grinding buzzing noise. And did you pay five ninety nine for it? 
I feel like they were expensive. It was probably like 20 bucks or something. Well, there was, like no, there was, no, there was full price and then there was like sale price. And then there was like, you know, first week price or whatever. It was like, you can get this one exclusively at Best Buy for $5.99 or it's sometimes $7.99, depending on if it was CD or. That's right. Um, some, I forgot some, about yeah. first week price. They had some. They had some of those. The Fat Records, I would buy stuff there too for Fat Records. Yeah, um, FYE, that's what they would do. You'd go to the mall and just be like, you'd look at all the stuff mm-hmm. that came out that week and it was like all cheaper and that never made sense to me but apparently because everyone was after those first week sales oh yeah they wanted to break records and like sound scan was a thing and like it's like you know the the goal the goal of the indie label was like dude a new band doing ten thousand their first week let's that's a low kind of a low to mid bar you know this band did like fifty thousand their first record let's see if we can do seventy thousand on this record or whatever you know um so they started setting their, their goals for that so hey if best buy can buy if they're already shipping, you know, 60 to 70,000 units, just, just in distribution, chances are they'll sell some of that. And with, I mean, yeah, we might get some in, in returns back to the label, but they, we ship that many. So we could say that it shipped that many, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> inside <working> info. <laughs> All right. So you, it wasn't until post high school that you started, that you joined a band. Now, yeah. Dogwood started as a Christian. So were you, did you grow up Christian? Was that, or is this like kind of a new, was this your, like your pull into that world? What was I should go the on the growing up Christian podcast and talk about this. <laughs> um, uh, hey, is that scotch? Uh, <laughs> it's cheap. It should be. It's cheap. cheap it's, it's colored, colorful gin. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. So in that, in that Mexican American family, we, everybody's Catholic. You're just, you have no choice. You're just Catholic. Um, and when my mom, so my mom was single until about, I was about maybe six years old. And then she married an, you know, a white guy, basically a a non-Mexican guy. And so he, he started taking us to a Calvary Chapel system, kind of Calvary Chapel, you know, West coast, non-denominational hippie kind of. Yeah. But the great thing about Calvary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The great thing about Calvary, Calvary, the Calvary Chapel system is. They are all, mostly all ex hippies or druggies, ex drug people or whatever. So they all come from. They all have kind of have a musical background. Almost everyone in the church plays music. Like you can play guitar in front, or or we we put our church would put on a ton of concerts, like for all different you know acoustic you know hippie music. And then by the time I got into high school, it was more like let's put on punk rock or metal shows and stuff like that. So Calvary Chapel was always down with that. So that was like a real benefit at what I learned through growing up in that. Um, But yeah, it wasn't always like, you know, woo woo. Let's, let's, let's do the church thing. It was more like, dang, this sucks. Cause my family, my dad's, this guy's trying to take us to church and he's an asshole and you know, he's everyone in the church is hiding stuff. And uh, you know, my parents are going through a divorce and you know, there's like people, people I know at the church are doing bad things, but they're still claiming that they're good people and calling everybody, calling everybody else. Are you uh, spilling the tea right now, but I'm not saying names. You, your parents were getting, so the white guy that your mom married, who (laughs) brought you guys to to Calvary Chapel, he, I don't know whose idea it was, but like once he came in the picture, we started stopping, we stopped going to Catholic mass and we started going to more of the Calvary Chapel system. That's all I know. Was that like fresh off your mom's divorce? Like what what was Uh, like the, (laughs) <laughs> excuse me no um my mom um shout out god bless her i love her she 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 
and my real father got separated when I was like a baby. So I never seen, okay. I never saw him. I've seen like a couple of pictures, um, which is great fodder for song lyrics, by the way. But then you, <laughs> then you go, you grow, I grew. So it was her and I for about, you know, you know, five or six years. And then she met the guy. And then, so they got married. And then, so for the next about nine to 10 years, he was, in, he was my stepfather. And so he, and then he, they got divorced officially my, my junior year of high school. So okay. a, a fantastic year to lose a father, right? Like, um, just like, which is more great fodder for lyrics. Um, <laughs> and this was all also during you future punk singer written all over. You, <laughs> this was all during, uh, us going to church. So all this was happening and he would, you know, I mean, he's passed away now, but he's, you know, he was, it was not a good scene. It was, we go to church every Sunday and I did youth group on Wednesday nights, but, but backstage things were falling apart. Um, we were, you know, abuse in the house, drug use, like, you know, just Whoa. stuff like that, uh, uh, with, the, with his friends and, and it, uh, and it was really confusing as a kid, uh, either, sure. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be trying to go to church or I'm, I'm just going because my parents are going, but you know, I have a cool youth group. friend. I, I still have a lot of good friends to this day from that, from that youth group and from that church and stuff. Some of my mentors and uh, everything's kind of stemmed out of this experience. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, through high school, I started getting a little more artistic and, you know, weird and trying to be cool, weird and friends with everybody because I didn't want to be in any group, man. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so I was writing, I, I do a lot of writing and art and, and not, I wouldn't, I didn't call it journaling and I still don't call it journaling, but I was, I was writing down a lot of stuff. Like you had a diary, kind of like, you know, sitting on my bed, hand on my chin, feet up in the air. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, yeah. What so color like, ink though? I mean, what it was, color ink were you using? Oh, a four color pen. It was a four color pen, of course. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Just picture any scene from Stranger Things when they're like, you know, bouncing around in the mall and stuff like that. That was us. Um, <laughs> BMX bikes and stuff. Um, so, so writing stuff. Um, and then um, I was just putting down all my thoughts and little did I know that some of that stuff would become songs later, you know, because I was dealing, I was dealing with all this kind of shit that was happening, you know, to my friends Hey, you guys are not supposed to have sex before marriage. Oops, you had sex before marriage. Oh, you're pregnant. What are you going to do? Oh, you had an abortion. Now what do we do? Oh, okay. I mean, you don't want to. Yeah, yeah. There was things like that happening and nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody. Oh, of course no, not. No adults in our, like we had some really, really good people in our lives, but, but nobody was talking about, they say, don't have sex before marriage. The, it just goes straight from that to you go to hell. It's, there's nothing like, but if you do. And here's the blah. Here's some um, options, you know, blah blah. I don't know because then you get ostracized for being the pregnant teens, or whatever. Um, and then, oh, your parents are getting divorced. You know, divorce is against the Bible or whatever, or however you word that. Uh, but we're here to support you. So um, yeah, uh, now and both your parents want to go to the church. Who gets the church in the divorce? Um, yeah. there's all kinds of one. wackiness, you know. Uh, Oh, you're, now people are dating in the youth group and there's just all kinds of drama because we weren't like a mega church or anything like that. So it was kind of, you know, tight knit family situations, but a lot of broken homes in our church. Like I said, a lot of, you know, hippie revival and kind of stuff with, in the Calvary system, which was, I always thought was cool. I always thought, oh, wow, you used to party with so-and-so rock star or whatever. And, you know, now you're up here preaching, but then now looking back at some of the sermons, even when I was I stopped going to that church, uh, it was like, wow, they were saying some really misogynistic things or like, wow, they were saying some, they were condemning other 
churches or denominations even you know just because we're cool the non-denominational it's like that doesn't mean you know that doesn't mean people who have a denomination are bad you know what yeah. i mean like we're, wait so a minute we Calvary all go to church Temple. but nobody can agree we all go to we all go to different christian churches around this town but nobody agrees on anything <laughs> yeah i think there is I, there's such a weird thing that happened with people who got spit out of the 60s you know, with just the, the, the loss of purpose and direction and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so many of them funneled into these churches and this huge proliferation or proliferation of cults yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And it's weird to see like some of the drastic turns in ideology that there was. I mean, I think we make, we make a lot of assumptions about what people thought during the sixties and in the hippie movements and stuff. And a lot of the things that, you know, get get cast as like really progressive and cool and stuff like that, like free love. <laughs> I'm sure that was great for some people, but I think it was also pretty ugly mm-hmm. for a lot of women, the way that they were treated and kind of like, you know, strong armed into situations and things. I mean, you, sure. So then you 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 come out of that, you you join some sort of a broad Christian movement and stuff. And, and all of a sudden you've got all these just weird like puritanical ideas that they're mm-hmm. preaching and stuff. it's it's just hard to make sense of all of that yeah progression yeah feel, they did it weird I, yeah. because it was like they it was still like christian fundamentalism mm-hmm. but they just reskinned it and it worked so good like they just got rid of like the outwardly pious stuff of like dressing up for church or wearing shoes or i don't know whatever <laughs> some of them were like we'll do church on the beach and people were like oh that's oh dope. yeah we did that yeah, yeah. It so still like, happens <laughs> i mean and it's cool like I, that, that's fine but it, it's just funny how like they literally just dropped the the optics uh of christian fundamentalism in the way that it had been traditionally uh but just kept all the same ideas uh yeah and, it really were. I mean, just it shows you how much of a bear. It's kind of interesting because it shows you how much of a barrier that stuff was. People mm-hmm. not wanting to get dressed up or not want, feeling like it's too stuffy. Mm-hmm. And then you realize it's not even about any of the beliefs at the end of the day. It was just about whether or not you can show up in like yeah. a tank top and flip flops. <laughs> yeah. Which I, you know, I still try to pull that off. Um, and if I go to someone's church, my wife's like, dress up a little bit. I was like, this is my good tank top. I refuse to wear shirts to church anymore. I just, hey, Jesus didn't wear a shirt. I just um, take it off right when I get in. And if someone says anything, I take my pants off too. Yeah, the Bible's not I against tank tops. Shirt. Show yeah. me in the Bible where it says no tank tops. Um, yeah, you got them. Can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, the what I even saw some, you know, some Calvary chapels or you know some churches. I mean, I've on tour. We've seen it all. We've seen all the churches. You know, um, but the churches who are like, ooh, we're non-denominational or whatever. It's like. That's the denomination, though. You're, that's you're be, you're making by saying that you're kind of creating. I mean, the whole Calvary Chapel system is kind of created. It's and that's the that's the definition of religion is we created it, right? Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're putting the lim- kind of the limits on. But but I could see from an early age, like when I was not not when I was like six to ten, but like once I started going to middle and high school, when I was going through, when I realized that I was going through so much stuff, and I realized that there was trauma in the house and stuff like that. Um, I could see that there was good. I could really see the good coming out of people uh, who were trying to do good and stuff like that. Like, or, or when, 
if a church got too big for its britches kind of, you know, and they, it was all about the pastor. Let's go see, you know, we don't say, Hey, I'm going to go to church on Sunday to say, let's go see this. You say the pastor's name, you know, let's go, let's go to that, you know, as, as if it's a concert performance. Um, and which some of them honestly, yeah, the church performances can be, obviously, you know, jump, jump to 2022, but like, this is before, you know, before then. So I was realizing that, you know, and I was, could be guilty of it too, is, um, you know, you, 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 you get the adrenaline from being a good person or being kind of self-righteous or as they say, you know, being, being the Pharisee. Um, it's like, it feels good to help other people or it feels good to know that you're doing something good. Like, you know, see you at the pole or like whatever the flagpole prayer thing is like, (laughs) um, you invite people to do that. It's so awkward to, as a school or a school person to invite somebody else to church because if they don't know anything about church and you're like trying to explain it to them, why do you go to church or what are you, what are you doing? It's like, uh, ping pong pizza. Um, I don't know. Come, come, just come hang out and there's hot chicks and you know, yeah. I don't know. Like that's kind of how the only way we could really explain things back then is cause, cause they knew like a lot of people that, like at our school, we knew there was a lot of people that we knew who were, had bad families or whatever, quote unquote, quote unquote, bad families, you know, like, Ooh, they're going to church or like, you know, Ooh, and it was just, it was just a bad scene. You know, some, some of the days with my, my mom and dad is just, it was just a bad scene. Like just screaming all the way to the church event or whatever. We'd show up at the church picnic. Hey guys, hey. the potluck with our, our, you know, hamburger yeah. helper casserole. The everything's everything's um, awesome. We uh, did not, we were not yelling at, at Josh in the back seat or whatever, you know. That um, is confusing, man. That must have been, it's just like people have to go through that when you, it, it just creates like, it, it set, I mean, it's, I'm interested to get into where you're at now. Cause that kind of stuff really sets a lot of people up for like, it's all an act. It's all a joke. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems to yeah. lack any authenticity. Uh, I mean, yeah. unfortunately it often in a lot of ways can, but it sounds yeah. like you saw aspects of it that were authentic too, uh, which then probably adds to the confusion. Like, oh, it does. But at how the much same time with it, how much of it is this all powerful. Yeah. Well, I mean, thing. I'm still, there's still things that I'm confused about or whatever, but now as a, you know, I've matured a, a tiny bit since being 17, but like, you know, I, now I can kind of see through people or see what they're really doing. Like, oh my gosh, that per- that's a good person. You know, this person that's been in my life, you know, from, from when I was nine years old at, at this church is still a good person. You know, they, and I tell them and they're like, I'm no angel. I just try to, you know, love others and stuff like that. And I'm like, see, it could all be so simple. Everything, everything could be so simple in, in Christianity or in, in your relationship with, you know, who, whoever you're praying to or whatever you're doing on Sundays or whatever day it's like, but we make it so stupid and complicated sometimes, or, you know, Oh, they have a better church than me. Or, you know what I mean? Or I don't want to <laughs> fold seats on Sunday more. I don't want to wake up and go to church. I, you know, I'll even show up late to online service um, or whatever the case may be. It's like, it's so, it could all be so simple, but we make it so crazy. But um, my folding chair days are over, man. That's all I get. Oh, I'm never doing that again. I but, tell you, for goddamn yeah. sure. Yeah, church planter. Um, <laughs> no, but like father, I, church planter. Yeah, yeah. It, it, your your um, that's your your bio for everything. Twitter bio. <laughs> I mean, I I I don't I don't I always like to you know speak negatively of my church experience, but I will. I can, I totally can. Uh, and just like anything in life, I, I could, I could paint you a picture of how bad things were, or I could tell you how good things were. And there's gotta, but I think there's gotta be a balance. Everything has to be a balance. You know, if I said I had an awesome, 
childhood growing up, there was some awesome moments. Sure. And this guy who is an asshole and, and who is doing all this bad stuff to my mom also taught me how to play baseball and, you know, and, you know, build things and stuff like that. There were some good moments, but I would say as an overall balanced experience, I would say it was out of balance, you know? And I think, I think Christianity, uh, has a lot more, has a lot more balancing to do these days. Um, but, uh, those things that I was writing, um, before I knew that I was going to be doing some band stuff, um, I, <laughs> I, I took some of those and, and then continued writing new things, but I was always writing conversationally, asking questions, uh, pissing people off because I was kind of calling people out that were in the church or calling, calling myself out for doing something unchristian. Maybe, um, if you look from day one, from song one on, uh, from Dogwood till, till my last song that I even writ, wrote even last year, I have pissed off somebody in the church, mostly in the church. I, we were judged more by people like in this, in, in Christianity than outside of it. We were getting judged outside because, oh, Christian punk rock. Ugh. But it's like we were still like <laughs> hanging with we were still doing all the stuff they were doing. We were hanging, playing all the same shows, winning awards that, you know, but I, we were part of that scene that we were going to make fun of, of course, for that heckling, whatever. But in the Christian scene and circles, like not necessarily with our peers, with other musicians, but like the church people or the fans, uh, it just sound when I now when I look back on it or talk to people now who are kind of calling me out on my music, I'm like, it just sounds you sound so ignorant, you know, like. I'm trying to, I'm trying to ask a question because when I was 17 and I wanted to know about abortion, nobody told me it was just like, bad, don't do it. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You, yeah. You don't you know that, that baby could have been a doctor. I was like, I, well, that's not really what I'm asking. I'm asking like, um, because it's hard because the Bible doesn't say anything about, it doesn't say the word abortion in the Bible. So I'm like, well, okay. So I would write songs from, about dashing children against rocks. And that's so much better. Which God did. <laughs> so it's right? different. It's <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. God, Old Testament God, bad. New Testament God, good. Um, so yeah, more, see more perspectives. It could be so, um, where was I? Where was it? Oh, so, so I, I, I was trying to write songs from perspectives of people. Uh, uh, my, I have a friend who's a girl and she happened to get pregnant from somebody in the church. Oopsie. And, uh, they ended up deciding to have an abortion and didn't really tell anybody. She told me in confidence. And then, you know, she's like, maybe you can write a song about it to like, use, you know, give a, give voice to that. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I, that took me a long time to write. And that's on that. And that's on through thick and thin. Uh, it, uh, it's become a song of controversy because I'm saying they, people think, Oh my gosh, you're saying you're, you're just another dude trying to be a voice for the women. Or I'm like, no, you don't know anything. And I don't really tell people all the time about what my songs mean because it's art and I want you to interpret it. And I want you to get pissed off because I, if you're not kind of, if you're kind of not, there's this new, newer saying, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention, you know, if you're not getting mad about something, you know, um, I think a like, lot of people are paying attention. These now more people are paying attention. Yes. But more people are paying attention to what I was writing because oh, so you're angry. saying they're like, Oh look, he wrote a song about abortion. They're, they're totally pro-life. There's nothing wrong with that. That's cool. And then they dig deeper into the lyrics. They're like, wait a minute. You know, you're, what are you saying here? You're like, wait a minute. You're saying there's options. No, there's, I'm like, dude, she already did this thing. I'm saying this, I'm saying, and now I have friends cause now that I'm older and I have kids, I have friends now who can't have babies. They would love, they would have loved to have had her baby as uh, you know, they would adopt it and raise it with her, all this kind of stuff. There's all these options. And those are two sides of the spectrum. There's everything in between too. Uh, and I'm not saying one or the other there's, there's good and bad. I mean, 
it's just this whole huge topic. And that's just one of my songs. <laughs> and that just happens to be one of like, I guess, a, a larger topic or whatever. But I was talking about people like I was having talking in conversation songs like this person wants has a question about heaven and hell. And the Christian's like, well, you know, everything's hunky dory. If you just you're saved, you're saved. That's it, man. Easy peasy. Christians have an easy life. And then the person's like, wait a minute, you know, and that was in a song. And that made some people angry too. <laughs> I'm like I just I want answers, and I'm trying to get answers through my two minute punk rock song. Yeah, you got to keep it to two minutes too, otherwise. Yeah, once I got three minutes, I'm then I was selling out. I don't yeah, know exactly. So it's, and this it's is all like before. I, this is all before I turned twenty one. <laughs> well, it's like you're you're fleshing out things, you know, having conversations through music that yeah really should have happened at church. You know, like we should have had those discussions at church. Would have been nice. It was more important to like communicate that this is our stance. This is right. And that is wrong. And like, we don't need to go into a lot of details about it. There's no discussion to be had. Life begins at conception and that's it. You know, um, yeah. I, I think my, my church had a lot of those and it was confusing, yeah. I think, because, because there's a, you know, like there's a, that saying within evangelicalism that like well it's not a christianity is not a religion it's a relationship it's a relationship it's not yeah. a list of rights and wrongs and a, a a list of rules and it's like well that all we really talk about is the rules <laughs> like that's that's what i remember the most you mm-hmm. know when i talk when i think about like sermons i try to think about what do i remember people talking about at church and like the vast majority of it was the rules. That's what we talked about, especially in a youth setting. Mm-hmm. You know, there were so many messages about like, you know, garbage in, garbage out. What are you watching on TV and listening to? And, you know, you mm-hmm. really think it's all right for you to have that, that CD or, um, yeah. <laughs> the purge. I love the rhetorical all, throw all the CDs out. <laughs> yeah. Rhetorical questions are always hilarious. It's like, do you, have you prayed about that? Do you think that do you think that's what you should be doing? Like, we're not going to I mean, tell I'm, you, I'm you shouldn't it. have a Lincoln park CD. But we don't want you to enjoy it. How's that? (laughs) You know, the only we will ruin it for you. The only people who masturbate are in hell. No, (laughs) you know, nobody does that. So if you're doing that, I mean, you're just sinning. So you shouldn't even be at church. Listening to Lincoln Park at the same time, then you (laughs) world of trouble. Um, I know. Become so no. To be to be honest, I feel I feel like a lot of sympathy and empathy for for youth pastors sometimes because they're. They got a hard job, you know, the, the, the main pastor is like, he's the big dog. He can say whatever. And people are like, ha ha ha. Or, you know, like, oh, he's just saying, you know, blah. He's just saying something crazy about ladies, whatever. Um, or, oh, that, that was a really good sermon. But the youth pastor has to like entertain, babysit, you know, counsel, like do all this stuff, depending on how big or, or small the staff is or whatever. And um, sometimes it's just a high schooler that just graduated. Uh, they don't know much more than the people they're teaching or whatever, or, but I've seen, I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of people really thrive um, in that setting, but like, I've seen some people really crash too. Um, It's so hard. Like if they deviate really at all from like the very basic rules and regulations, talking points and stuff like that, then, you know, there's an angry parent there <laughs> complaining. Yeah. It's just like being a teacher. I mean, you yeah. know, I can't imagine what it's like to be a teacher and have all these parents with opinions about how they're teaching this and how they're teaching that. And, I feel like it's worse pastors the same way. There's a lot. There's like, a lot of parents. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I feel like a lot of teachers, like, I don't know how much 
I mean, outside of what you see on the news of like Texas parents hating critical race theory or something, but like <laughs> if, if it's in general, I don't, I feel like teachers, like the kid, people just send their kids to school and then they come home. But I feel like if you're a coach, you have to deal with so much shit about yeah. like, why, why aren't you playing my kid more? Like, oh, that would be the, I think being a coach sounds the awful. possibility of children's sports is like the biggest deterrent to having children for me. Like I cannot <laughs> think of anything worse than having to sit through football games. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do they, do they do that anymore because of concussions and shit. I'm sure there. Yeah. 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 There's, you know, what's it called? Pop Warner and stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, I did, I did one week of football in high school and I got my burst, my appendix. So I stopped forever. <laughs> Ouch. Thanks a lot. Jason Rainey. Um, Ooh. blasted my appendix I just looked over there like he's sitting next to me um, he is sitting <laughs> next to me anyways yeah so I was putting I was just trying to have those questions and answers but what was crazy is I was talking to myself because I was singing them and doing the questions and the answers at the same time instead of two people singing or whatever and sometimes I was talking to, to God because I'm like dude God WTF bro and or Sometimes I'd be talking in another person's voice, like the girl in the song or the other person who isn't saved, but wants, you know, has questions about church because all of, all of your friends go to church, but you just, you know, you have questions, so you don't want to go or whatever, or your family was raised in a different way and they don't, they don't really, I don't know. There was all these things that I was trying to just basically put, I was like, I'll be the voice. I will be your voice. I will be your 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 pen and paper and i will put this on music and i will sing this song for you and then but outwardly it just sounded like i was being all, all pious or i was being all um obtuse with the church like i didn't appreciate how i was raised or something like that you know um because i don't know why i don't know why i don't know if we teach it if we are teaching this like i mean actually we probably are teaching this in church is like it's okay it's just super okay to judge people it's just super okay to judge his art or her art or their decisions because the Bible told the pastor, the pastor told the youth pastor, the youth pastor told you or your parents told you or whatever. But you know, it just, it just drove me wild. And then, so every night on stage, if we would preach a message or say something positive about church or whatever, I'd be like, don't take my word for it. Go find out for yourself, go read the Bible or go find an author that writes about theology or talk to your favorite pastor or youth pastor. Don't, I'm just up here saying kind of what I believe what I've know about church or what I've learned. And I've, I've had a lot of experiences that, my, that you might not have had. Like if you might've grown up awesome in an awesome church, I'm, I mean, not you two. I mean, I'm talking to like a crowd of people um, or you two, whatever, but it might, you might have a completely different church experience than me. So I might be saying something that's totally foreign to you. You might've been like, what church is amazing. I had, I've had the best life. My parents are married. You know, I got siblings that love me. Nobody's ever been, molested or drugs in my house or anything like that. If everything's awesome, you know, being a Christian is awesome. I'm like, awesome, dude, that's really cool. I'm glad for you. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's bad or like, I hate you for that. And you shouldn't hate me for my upbringing. You shouldn't judge me. But, you know, like I said, some, somewhere along the line, somewhere along us youths, youths, we got taught that it's okay to judge people for not believing what we believe. Yeah. It's such a weird time too. Cause when you're young, and you're 16, 17, it's like, go find out for yourself. It's like, you already think you know things <laughs> because of the world yeah. you live in. So like, uh, it's 
it's like a level of like Stockholm syndrome with it. Like mm-hmm. people lo- mm-hmm. might have, there's plenty of people who loved their experience. And then later on, we're just like, Oh, I no, probably. I think I'm, I'm done. Even if they don't have like a, a huge, like yeah, something awful happened reason. And of course some people just like roll with it for a while. It's, but it is so funny to think back on like those times. Cause I remember as a kid going to shows, uh, this is like a, the I feel like this is a conversation that a lot of people go back and forth on. If you grew up in the Christian world, it's like some people were like never wanted to hear a vocalist say anything. Like, mm-hmm. like don't preach, don't just. I'm here to yeah. watch you do music, and then just there, rock and roll, baby. For people like me who are like, I want someone to say something that's going to validate my worldview. It was like really what I was after. So whenever people <laughs> did say stuff, I was like, I, I was, I, I would just go go in hard for this like oh yeah that was a great show and just like they, did you hear that did you get that was a good and then my friends who were also christians were like like why do you need that it's like i don't know i <laughs> yeah yeah but it, it, out of out of either either that point of view or their point of view out of one of those two became like the i don't know the impetus of the whole kind of christian punk scene at least from my eyes i could see why some bands would would want to get out of that or stop doing doing that scene or whatever and going, you know, mainstream or secular or whatever the Christian kids wanted to say, like, oh, they stopped, you know, carrying or whatever. It's like, uh, or you or you drove them out, you know, a little bit. Let's go. Yeah. Let's, let's think about both ways, you know, maybe, you know, maybe so that I'm sure. they were losing. I don't know. Or I mean, it's, it's just it can be very uh, it can be very guilt driven, like. Oh man, am I even going to be allowed to like be myself at this show because everyone's going to be judging me for, you know, if I'm wearing a, a secular band shirt or whatever, or like, you know, I showed we showed up with a sticker on our van that says like, you know, something about we we are supportive of my gay friend or whatever. It's like ostracized, get out of my get out of our scene, you know. <laughs> it, 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 I could find that really hard. There was a point. There was definitely a point in like maybe I don't know message board time, MySpace time, where it was like. Um, what are this? What's this band even doing anymore? They don't, you know, they didn't say the right thing off stage, or Josh's new lyrics don't have the right message. You know, I was like, oh man, well, prove me wrong. You write a song, and t- let's let's compare, you know, or something like that. Like <laughs> let's, you know, let's go toe to toe with what you're saying. Um, are you just saying this because it sounds cool to be so ju- super judgy? You know, the onset yeah. of internet heckling with MySpace. It's like the first time Dude, fans got to say so their fucking fun. piece publicly. <laughs> we got we got in trouble for we, we I was part of the May 1st like the May Day boycott kind of thing down here in Southern California with like rights for farm workers. We I, we were like, "Hey, Dogwood supports the boycott, whatever." Like, I'm down for the farm workers. Like I I support living wages. I support, you know, and uh I I think Jesus would too. And we got shafted by uh, on myspace like i'm not gonna listen to your wow. music anymore i'm not gonna you do you're part of the boycott i'm like well okay you go do their job you know see see how much money it's worth or like it was a it was almost like a dumb argument i didn't want to argue back but there was some i just had to respond to you know yeah it's you're like, talking farmers and a bunch of teenagers act like they have to go out and buy fucking groceries and they're gonna spend an extra 30 cents on tomatoes because they got a raise it's ridiculous exactly i think the main person <laughs> who was arguing was like I was like not even a teenager. I think it was like a you know a person older than me too, like oh, oh wow. you know blah blah. It's, and and this kind of was pre you know uh, immigration arguments and stuff like that. This was like pre they took our jobs. Kind, this was kind of the start of that. Yeah, like it's <laughs> oh, okay. Well, if they boycott, then who's doing the who's doing the work? You know. So and that was and that was just one instance. That was a small protest. That was a small 
you know, we were supporting like human rights, basically. <laughs> we were supporting people who were just trying to trying to live and really support our country. And they're like, uh, I'm throwing away your music. You know, I'm like, oh, go ahead. I don't care. <laughs> you know, you already bought it. We, we win, <laughs> dummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, my God. But 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 at that point, I was getting it's just disenchanting. And I could see other I could see how other bands would be like, you know what? You know what, guys? Yeah, let's go. Let's look. Let's go in that direction or something like that. You know, yeah. so. So what ended up like I mean, you did? How long did? How long did Dogwood run for? Oh, um, so let's see. I would say we were full time. Like we were pretty serious full time. A, a good like fourteen years or so. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. What? So is that just what? Did it come to its natural conclusion then after fourteen? I years? think so. Like, I think so. Like just people, um, because that kind of the core lineup started. You know, the, you know, somebody got sick of playing, so you know, somebody would leave and go get do another band or move even move away or different career and then um yeah and, and another thing with us, <laughs> another thing with us was we were never um we never really did tour support like we never really went on other people's tours it was always like dogwood going on tour and taking other bands out so we never really got to kind of be the smaller band i guess if you will not that we were ever like huge huge but we were always going out on our own club shows or whatever and doing we were doing we we're touring a lot but it was never really like massive big shows because we were not we were it was like just us and taking out mm-hmm. new, newer bands or whatever so that was that was kind of one thing where it was like okay we're you know we're gonna get you know a little bit less and less or whatever um i don't know that was that was one contributing factor to something but also maybe just people just finally totally decided they hated my lyrics or the music <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and then we just did after that, just, uh, you know, some, uh, songs for the record. And then we just kind of said, okay, well, whatever, just, we'll just take it easy. Yeah. What was, um, the, oh yeah. Did you, so was that it for you after, for a little while for music? Were you just, what year was that actually? Let me set that I don't even know. That was, that must've been maybe, maybe stopped touring full time in like, I would say, oh, three, oh, four. Okay. would be like kind of maybe even oh five oh six i don't i don't totally remember when the, like the last world or i mean a uh, continental tour was but yeah probably around that time and then um just wrote a couple songs here and there singles um different compilations off that were not on tooth and nail and stuff um but but i kind of I, I never really stopped writing stuff like music or words or anything like that and, and i've always been singing singing um on other people's tracks or other, other records, you know, kind of a featured artist or, a, okay. um, or just contributing vocal ideas or something like that. So I've always tried to try to keep those muscles built, you know, like, so they don't, my, my, my musical muscle memory doesn't atrophy or anything like that. I want to keep that active because, um, because it's my outlet and it's my, you know, it's one of my, you know, quote unquote, God given talents, you know, not that I was good in the beginning, but I feel like I know, I kind of know how to do it now. Um, and to help other people do it. So it's fun. But now I also just turned that into kind of cooking and podcasting, you know? Yeah. Which I'm, def- I'm curious about that too. So Woo! you have a cooking <laughs> podcast. Uh, how long have you, so before you was started upon, I'm guessing cooking was a venture for a while, but you're a food guy. Yeah. Um, podcast is fairly new. Um, 2020, early 2020 is when I started that. I was already listening to shows, but like, I was like, man, a lot of people I know, cause, cause on tour, 
also on, when I was early, early tours, first tours, I remember watching videos of our first tours. It's like I was cooking in someone's backyard because we'd stop at someone's house or a show, you know, whatever, have a day off barbecue, you know, or go to a fast food place on the road. Everyone goes to like Subway or McDonald's or truck stops, but we try to get a couple of things. And then I would like kind of mix, mix, make new things or whatever, like, you know, customizations at Subway or whatever, like kind of chicken and flaming hot Doritos and then throw it. Exactly. Do all that crazy (laughs) stuff. All the crazy stuff that, that kind of people do on viral videos now is like kind of, we were already doing that middle of nowhere. Like, you know, mid middle of the night ordering stupid things at the, you know, whatever, steak and shake or whatever and like putting stuff together that wasn't on the menu you know um, <laughs> stuff so or yeah so like just just ha- trying to trying to survive on the road and eat eat whatever you can eat is like kind of another way to view food as a, the culinary world as a punk rock you know ethos um kind of paving your own way like if it like it like i don't think well maybe i would but i don't know if i would ever see the clash eating at mcdonald's or you know what I mean? Like if I was to do a food pairing of bands and, and, and food, I would not pair the clash with McDonald's, you know, <laughs> cause it'd be like anti-establishment, you know, the g- McDonald's is like big pharma, big government. So like, we're not going to touch that or we're going to rally against yeah. that. You know, we're going to go, we're just, we'll just starve, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and which we did, we starved on the road sometimes, but whatever. Some subway workers took pity, pity on us. Um, but then like cooking would be between or I'd get a job when we'd come home from tour and that would be in, in the food world, the culinary world. I would be working at a cafe or I was a busboy or a barista or anything like that, you know. Um, but then we'd go on a tour again. So I couldn't really hold a lot of maintain a lot of work that way. <laughs> so I wasn't really chop, honing my chef skills uh, between tours, but um, just learning stuff here and there, just basically survival skills, you know. <laughs> but I mean, even... But touring continentally, like Mexico, Canada, Alaska, all the way across the United States, there is a lot of different cultures and dialects and people and food. So I was yeah. learning a ton without even knowing it, without even realizing it. Like, like you know, Southern California, like even San Diego specifically, has a at the time it was a kind of a a scene of just like you know tacos and burritos, Mexican food basically, the taco shops, taquerias, like you know corner corner trucks and stuff like that. Then you go out to Arizona, and then you start getting into like Waffle House territory, and you keep traveling further and further east. You know, and then it's like you know you're into Texas, then it's like oh my god, all, all this giant beef barbecue brisket, you know, smoking stuff, and then you keep going and going and going, and so on and so forth. You know, Louisiana you know seafood boils and then you go into florida and there's uh cuban food so like all this other regional cuisines that i was learning about just from traveling with the band and i was like dang so cool and that you know this is before i started reading cookbooks and like there was no food network you know so it was very inspiring to me uh as a as growing up and having you know i like having food in our family and doing all these cookouts and stuff like that is like my love for food and music. There was always music playing at the, at the carne asada cookout or anything like that. There's always loud, obnoxious music playing, like, you know, especially at the Mexican parties. Um, we were going to late into the night and the music was loud and the neighbors weren't pissed off. They were there with you, you know, um, <laughs> you know, boom, 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 boom. And there's carne asada and hot tortillas and all this stuff. And so that was a really highlight of my life is learning that without knowing it, that was, that was a, that's a music and food pairing is like those parties, loud music, you know, and then going to high school yeah. parties, loud music. We played a lot of dogwood played a lot of high school parties and skate parties and stuff like that. Loud music, uh, not so much food, more like beer and stuff like that. But, um, 
there were some pairings without knowing it. Love and it was pairs really well with keg stands. <laughs> this, this, I mean, we've been at a couple of those parties for sure. Um, <laughs> one, one time we had to like get the cops to come because I had broken my toe or something like that. And we were, we were, we were trapped in and it was a half pipe party. So everyone's kind of parked around the half pipe and there was, you know, it was like, a triple kegger man up in the hills of like you know somewhere and we couldn't get out we couldn't i couldn't get out of the show i we couldn't i we played a little bit my toe was just like there's just like blood everywhere or something like i don't know get me out of here <laughs> i remember that was a long time ago but damn that sucks <laughs> um but yeah so culinary stuff is yeah i just i think i don't know how i got totally into like chefdom but uh doing nonprofit work, you know, it's trying to, trying to, I guess, stay in the, stay in the eyes of doing good work, helping others, loving your neighbor would be like working in nonprofits. So we worked in a lot of nonprofits, excuse me, my my wife and I, we, uh, you know, we moved up to San Francisco to start this nonprofit restaurant training program for, you know, incarcerated youth and foster, foster kids and stuff like that, showing them how to uh, work in the culinary world how to maintain jobs, how to, how to prevent recidivism, which so they be, so they wouldn't go back to juvenile hall and stuff like that. And, and what, what, what is in San Francisco restaurants? So how do we, so our nonprofit was just, um, it was called old school cafe. And it was basically, a, it was basically a 1920s jazz supper club, like a Harlem jazz supper club. And so all these, all these kids from, from the hood were, would come in here for training and we'd dress them up. They, they would, they had like really nice outfits, like, um, you know, Harlem Renaissance kind of thing. So bow ties and red suspenders and um, nice hats and old microphones. And there, it was a full on jazz club. And so we were doing food and music as a, as a training program um, up in San Francisco. And it's still up there. It's still running. It's still a nonprofit. They, they partner up there with the warriors and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> and they're still thriving. They're still keeping youth out of prisons and stuff like that. Um, and that was something that we built together. And I still talk to some of my students to this day who are still chefs now. Um, so, uh, but part, what was really cool about that was it was definitely a music venue. It was, there was music every night. It was all youth run. I mean, there was adults because we had to train them, but we tried to empower them to run the whole thing. So like the MC, the musicians, the, everything from the host to the chef, it was all 16 to 24 year olds. And so it kind of reminded me of like doing the punk rock stuff, doing, doing the tours and stuff like that. Like, as a as a 16 to 24 year old learning about the world through whoever is whoever your mentor is and then finding out on your own so we would try to help them get a job like we would do a stage at like google or twitter for a week or whatever or like, because san francisco has all those companies mm-hmm. <laughs> so we would go we would go cooking and um try to do try to get work at the music venues that had food so it was pouring out of my heart that it was, it was always music and food pairings. It was always music and food together. You know, those are the things that stir the soul is those two things together, either separately or together, together even better. And so then I just kept doing that when I moved to San Diego, worked for another nonprofit. We started a, a, a cafe training program. So barista program, learning coffee and stuff like that. So, um, and then, yeah, that's still going down, down in San Diego. So, uh, there's nice. this nonprofits thing. So I just took kind of that and then, took it in the next level and just did chef stuff. That's because I learned a ton in San Francisco and LA and stuff like that from chefs. So I loved it. <laughs> That's cool, man. I like the, that concept of pairing music and food. Uh, I'm trying to think, I want to th- like, if I was going to throw out some foods, like, or what, what are some of the ones that you've like, that you've, what is, that come, immediately come to mind of like, uh, well, the easiest, I would serve yeah. Me. The I easiest example is like, 
if you if you guys can picture either of your favorite food establishments or coffee shops or restaurants or breweries or whatever, there's probably a good there's probably you probably like them partially because they have a good soundtrack, maybe. If it's a the, brewery, chances are it's like fish, grateful dead, something like that. <laughs> I feel like that's Oh, you different. need to find some new breweries, man. Some of them. Some of them do. Yeah, some of them do for sure. But like down in, uh, there's a couple here in San Diego that are basic they're based around punk rock. There's like, you know, a couple that I can think of that are like Fall and Three Punk Ales. They're they all their walls are covered with like punk rock posters and stuff like that. Nice, you know? that's cool. So their soundtrack, even even some of our songs will come up in their soundtrack sometimes. But like um or your favorite restaurant or coffee shop or whatever, like I was saying, because you 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 sit there, you're vibing without even knowing it, maybe they're playing something lo-fi or like old school hip hop or jazz or whatever. And people like that, or you, you have an experience from when you were growing up, either growing up Christian or whatever the case may be, uh, your favorite, like do the nail artist or whatever. And like, you guys used to go out in your truck and turn it up and you'd go get like a Pepsi or Mountain Dew and play <laughs> video games all night, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, or after the concert, we'd go out to like Denny's or Waffle House or whatever you got in your area, um, Shoney's. And then, um, you know, we stayed up till like four in the morning and then I found the love of my life after this concert or something like that. So like there's these experiences that you had in your life or a lot of people just think about like the easy the big ones are like Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, the big the big meals where everyone kind of knows what the food's going to be or, you know, uh, West Texas barbecue or something like that. So like then you can when you go into a barbecue place, they're playing blues, you know, and why is that? It's because a lot of people think that St. Louis, home of barbecue, home of, home of the blues, those kind of go hand in hand, you know? So like there's certain things that you already know in your head that might go well together. Um, or a lot of the people now that I talk to on my show um, are people from the music industry who now own restaurants or bars or coffee shops or breweries or distilleries, you know, stuff like that, wineries. Or I talk to like my favorite band is like Good Riddance. And the two of the guys... One guy, the bass player, owns a crepe place, and one guy is a, a wine sales director at a winery up there. So there's all these connections in the between the industries. Um, yeah, you know, so like those are kind of things that kind of pair already together. But if I was to tell you, you know, if I was to make a menu or I sell tickets to one of my beer pairing dinners where I'm I'm pairing beer and food together, but I make a playlist for that. I don't tell everyone, you know, all the time that I'm making a playlist, but. And I say, here's how you taste the beer. Here's what I made for the food. And now I have this song that's going to play while you eat and drink your food, eat your food and drink your drink. And I'm going to tell you how to taste everything together. So, so you'll never, you know, you compare it, but then I'm going to play this song. Maybe it's tribe called quest, or maybe it's, you know, whatever it's dogwood or quicksand or whatever. And, um, now next time you have this pale ale or this halibut, you're never, you're not going to ever forget that you heard this song or, or you're gonna now you're gonna hear this quicksand album and you're gonna think of my food because and we you're did gonna this. go out and buy halibut <laughs> or whatever the case may be or these I had the best carnitas tacos I ever had because I was listening to this or there was a song playing and I'm never gonna forget that experience. It was the best song. The song sounded better. The beer tasted better. The food tasted insane, and the chef was funny <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> you know. So that's just kind of one one example. If there's a theme like that where I'm saying, hey. I got this new be well record. I want to put it on and we're going to, we're going to drink this new whiskey or whatever the case may be, you know, stuff like that. That's cool, man. I like that. Yeah. That's a fun thing. So that's kind of what we do on the show a little to some degree, you know, if, depending on who, who I'm talking to. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's really cool. I, I, the nonprofit thing that you've, you've talked about all kind of different directions you've gone in the way you've kind of kept your foot in the musical, the music industry. It's mm -hmm. uh 
you've got a lot of different directions, man. It's really cool. Thanks. Yeah. I'm still, still trying, you know, still do, I still do songs every once in a while with whoever wants to collab with me. I'll just, you know, St. Didacus will put out a track or something like that, you know, like, cause I only, I can only sing. I don't play drums or bass or anything like that. So I'm like, who wants to do this with me? So I get yeah. a couple of friends and lately, lately we've, you know, been doing, doing it with the, this. I still have Danny from Dogwood still playing with me. He does a guitar and records me and stuff like that. So we've been okay. long time, long time collaborators. Um, and then from goes from there, you know, Mike and Joe and whoever else. Nice. Dude, yeah. before we get out of here, one of the things we usually like get into that we kind of skirted over a little bit is um Christianity. It sounds like you still have Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. We talked we talked about your upbringing in it, but like we usually kind of finish or at some point get to where people are at now. And it, it sounds oh, yeah, like you kind of still have a, you do have a foot in the door with it still that you're you might that feel like it's so complicated. Up on, right? I would say yeah. it's complicated because of what I know and then like um the complication comes from that, you know, when you get that, when you get that glimmer of doubt and the doubt starts to become your God and you're like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to explore this. You know, the hipsters call it, or the hip Christians call it deconstruction and reconstruction and all this kind of stuff. I'm sure it's come up on the show before. Um, no, but never. like so how long, how long there's no rules. How long can you deconstruct? How long does it take to reconstruct? And then, you know, cause the, because growing up Christian is the foundation, bro. And then you deconstruct it and you reconstruct it. And here you are. Um, but uh, w- when things happen in my life, like if my son, you know, almost dies when he's born, I'm like, oh, where's God in that? The fuck, man? You know, or like, you know, other things happen to my family. And, and I know I don't even do well if like if my wife gets sick or my kids get a cold. I'm like, dude, this sucks. What the hell, man? But then, you know, there's obviously other crazier, bigger things happening in the world than just my narrow myopic vision of like what's good and what's bad. But um, but we're human and I'm thinking about myself, you know? Um, so I'm like, dude, God, just fix this magic, magic God ha- happen now, you know? Um, but I've always had this, like we said earlier, this, this relationship, this weird dynamic relationship, because like, you know, God is, God's the perfect father, but you know, cause like for all of us who had a broken home and, you know, uh, father left at birth and then I got divorced when I was in the middle of high school and, uh, well, now, now God is your father. You know, it's like, well, I mean, I mean, God doesn't know how to I, throw a baseball. I, so. That's what I was. I was gonna say that. I was literally gonna say that. I was like, I don't know. Should I say baseball right now? I mean, um, obviously, I love baseball, but like, um, I think that, I think that the so that I've had like I've had valleys, you know, that walk walk through the valley of the shadow, all this kind of stuff. But I've always also sang about it, and you know, called out with a Christian band or music, or whatever. I don't care. It's punk rock. It's music. Um, but I was always singing from the heart. Like I was trying to say, this is what I'm dealing with. This is, I'm sure there's other people out there dealing with the same thing. I'm sure there's other youth pastors who don't have all the answers for these things that I'm telling their kids to think about. Um, I'm positive that, you know, God, however you, however you view God, he, she, all being, all knowing, all powerful, whatever, um, you know, I just talked to my old bass player, Sean Beattie is now a PhD doctor, you know, church pastor he's like i believe that everyone does have a purpose in life and whether what you, whatever you think or believe about um heaven and hell or christianity it's like once once you die either either you're right about not they're not being god and you just die and that's it or you're you know oh wait did i get that right anyways either you die and that's it or you die and there's something else like that's kind of really all there is to it you die and that's it or you die and there's something else so how good can you be while you're alive, you know, like I view it as 
I like to be a follower of like what Jesus taught me, you know, not like what Christianity is supposed to be or whatever, because if a person like my dad or Donald Trump or like Mark Driscoll or are quote unquote Christians, then where does that leave me? Like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to, I don't want to fall into that category. I don't want people to say, think Christianity and think like, oh, oh, well, that's those, that's kind of, those guys kind of do ugly things or, you know, in the name of whatever. So I want to be like, well, you know, here, here's a bunch of food I made for you. Cause that's what Jesus would do, you know, for my neighbors who are sick or pregnant or, and they're not Christian. They're like, why are you doing this or whatever, you know, in their heads? I'm like, I'm just being nice because that's what my mom taught me. That's what Jesus, Jesus says to do, you know? love the poor, love others. Like, like, you, like, I don't like, I don't always vibe with the verse, love, your, love your neighbor. Like you love yourself. Cause some people don't love themselves. You know, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, self-care yeah. is a big thing now. Self-care is definitely a big thing now. But like, I was, I always thought like, well, what if you, what if you hate yourself? You know, then what does that mean for your neighbors? It means you're off but, the hook. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but for, but also for me, like I said, growing up and there was, there was a lot of good in the church that surrounded us. Like when, when my mom needed them and when we needed, when I needed help and growing up, um, in the church and stuff like that, I think that I would like to pay that back to the world, to people, you know, to, but giving back like, dude, you need, you need something. I got an extra bike in my garage. Take it. I don't care. You know, you, you won't, you don't have money to pay me to sing on your record. I'll sing. I don't care. You know, like different kinds of things. So I still do like a lot of, and I think that's kind of why I do a lot of the nonprofit and charitable work is because it's my kind of way because I did a spiritual gifting test in high school and my gifts were hospitality <laughs> and my gifts were hospitality and teaching like both, both of those. And, um, the, and I think those were, I think that's kind of cool in a sense that I kind of view, I kind of view I, my view, my view of Jesus was like that. Like he was very hospitable water to wine at the party for seven days, the last supper, everything in the Bible. That's why you Jesus, guys start doing keg parties. I love it. I'm down. I, I haven't done them, but like everything that revolved around Jesus was like, he was all about women. Like not, I mean, not a womanizer, but he was everything <laughs> he, you know, he went raised from the dead. Who does he see first women or his mom and sees him at the cross, whatever. And then every, all of his stories are also revolving around food. Like his big stories, his first miracle and his last supper were all big food stories, you know? So I've always kind of taken that to heart as well for my, my own, like, you know, journey in that. So, uh, Cool. I can't speak for all, all the world of Christianity, but I, what I can say for my my own journey is that it's a complicated one, but I just really try to live good, the good part of Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. which is I hard. like that. I like the way that it's like <laughs> hit you. I like the way that it's influenced your, you know, the directions you've gone in as far as like you just mentioned food and the way that a lot of what Jesus did was around food and taking that. Art. I think that's cool. I think it's allowed for you to find it looks like it's allowed for you to find like just unique outlets uh and bring your life in a direction that's not so common uh, as you kind of pair all these different things together yeah i hope so yeah, i think I it's wanna, fun so i want to i want to make a memory for the kids you know like a, a legacy of also another thing is with with my relationship with jesus like what what do i show the kids what am i showing my kids you know what am i leaving like that guy was either either the way i talk about my stepdad like oh that guy sucks or wow, that guy did a lot of good for the neighbors and for our family and blah, blah, and sacrifices like, oh mm -hmm. yeah. So that's, and you know, I feel like that's a part of it too, is the legacy that we leave. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Dude. So where can people find you? You're uh, I know you're on Instagram cause that's where I found you. Hi, I'm in San Diego. Um, my, I'm i I'm a chef at Harvest Kitchen in San Diego. I'm on Instagram. I am on Instagram. If you're looking for the podcast, it's the family cast food and music is life. Yes. And my personal is Josh Kemb, K-E-M-B. 
those are my two main things that I do. And then I'm on Twitter too, but that's more for like, I'm mainly talking to mus- musicians and other stuff like that. Cause Twitter can be a real black hole. Oh yeah. We've um, talked about that a lot. <laughs> it, I, I did it today. I was like, what am I doing? I spent like the last 10 minutes looking at like just school shootings and sh- politics. I'm like, this is, I, I hate that kind of stuff. So anyways, I am. Yeah. Mainly, mainly those two things, the family cast and my personal one. So personal one's all about kids and chinchillas and food. And then uh, <laughs> the other one's podcast stuff and lots of record, awesome. record collecting. Nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was waiting for you to go, Casey. Oh, Casey. Casey, <laughs> sorry. We got the crossed wires there. He's a closeout so, king. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, Josh. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, check out Josh's social media, his podcast, and we will see you next time. 